DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Riley, question of the day. When BYU and Boise State play the 10th and final game in their new contract in 2034, where will you be and what will you be doing? Look into the future, <laughs> Riley. Boy, that's great. Okay, so you know what? I will probably have gone to, by that time, my oldest son will have been in high school, so let's assume they play on like a Thursday. You know, let's say they get like that Thursday game, so I'll be getting ready to go to a high school game that Friday night. And, uh, you know, in the thick of raising a bunch of teenagers is probably where I'll be. Probably still around here in Utah. My roots run deep. Don't really want to go anywhere else. That's about all I can. My whole life revolves around football, as you can see. I was mapping out the football game, so that's about <laughs> as good as I can tell you. Well, my condolences that you'll be raising a bunch of teenagers then. And then, secondly, I hope you're still doing your job and doing what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. Boy, I, uh, if they can, you know, if they keep me around at BYU that long, again, I don't think, I think, um, you know, Mark Lyons is the, is the, um, oh my goodness, who was, who's that the, is the Cal Ripken. Sorry to Cal Ripken for blocking on his name. Is the Cal Ripken of radio yeah. analysts putting 38 years in. I don't know that I'll be able to surpass that, but boy, if I can get from here to 2034, 15 years, I'll be tickled pink. And then, 38 years, that's a long time. I didn't realize he did it that long. That, that is, certainly is tremendous. How many of these moments that you had, like, on Saturday, will you have going forward over the next 15 years? You know, I think a lot. I think BYU uh, being with, and, and I don't think independence will spread out 15 years. I think something will happen on the landscape that will, that will have BYU aligned somewhere, somehow. I don't know what that is. It looks pretty It looks pretty bleak and distant at the moment, but 15 years is a long time. Uh, but that being said, I, I think a lot. I think BYU is in a position or in a place where the program, if they play clean football like they did on Saturday, and, and barring you know, very upper echelon teams, they're going to be in competitive, they're going to be in a position, in a competitive situation, late in games, and, you know, and if they get lucky and the ball bounces their way like it did against Tennessee, then it's going to make for a lot of these type of, uh, of endings. Riley Nelson joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So where do you think BYU got lucky on Saturday, and where do you think BYU made their own luck on Saturday? Yeah, that, I'll start with the latter first. They made their own luck by taking care of the football. It was um, not to continue to you know drag on the misery of the rivalry for, for BYU fans, but so many made the excuse that, man, have we not just given up two pick sixes and another fumble inside our own red zone and given them 20 points off turnovers, we're right in that football game. And I know Utah fans were kind of saying, oh, yeah, right. You know, the second half, we held the ball for nine minutes. We did what we wanted with you. We imposed our will. But BYU somewhat proved that. Now, I'm not trying to equate Utah and Tennessee. Utah's program, I mean, their execution, and, and they're in a lot better place than Tennessee, who's kind of struggling right now. But bottom line is they did go on the road to, you know, one of college football's biggest and, and most fierce venues. I know it wasn't at 102 capacity, but 92,000 is still quite a riled-up crowd. And through not turning the ball over, 
and and minimizing their penalties and winning the field position battle, they were they made their own luck uh, to put themselves in a position at the end. And then really it all came down to that last play, right? There was a holding that backed them up to their own eight yard line, and then Zach, you know, didn't wasn't able to make it to the sticks on that run before that final throw. So BYU couldn't stop the clock being out of timeout. So it's to quote, you know, Chris Berman back when he used to do the fastest two minutes, tick, 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 tick. And, uh, and luckily, Matt Bushman uh, kind of drew a lot of attention from the safety and the corner. What happened on that play is the corner was covering Micah Simon as Zach's eyes went over to that right side of the field. Uh, the corner kind of assumed that he was going to go to Matt Bushman like most of us did, right? Matt is the most verifiable playmaker on BYU's offense. And so the corner fell off Micah. Luckily for Zach, it was all right in his line of sight because he could see as he was looking at, at Matt, Micah popped open behind him, was able to get the ball to him, and obviously set him up for the game-tying field goal. And then once that happened, uh, they did. I don't think it was luck from there because that 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 play and and making the field goal took all the wind out of Tennessee's sails. I don't think at that point, once it headed to overtime, I don't think very many people on that sideline or in that stadium, given what had happened the week before, thought Tennessee had much of a chance, and BYU took care of business. So I heard Rubel had a stat on your show saying that the Cougars under Kalani are eight and one without any turnovers. I mean that, that's so significant. And clearly, if you have to have turnovers, you'd rather have a fumble because in a pick six situation, you end up a lot of times where it's a bunch of slow guys trying to chase a bunch of fast guys or the guy who's intercepting the ball, and it doesn't work very well. So you end up with pick sixes, which is what they had twice against Utah, obviously. And so then the second week against Tennessee, Zach Wilson doesn't throw any turn uh, any interceptions, let alone pick sixes. And the difference is they win the game. What is the difference between what was the difference between him in game one and game two that allowed him to be turnover free? You know, Utah's pass rush is far better than Tennessee's. Yet BYU only gave up one sack, or, or I should say, Zach in this situation only took one sack against Utah. Yet there were four sacks against Tennessee. So, so how do you equate for that? Well, in Utah, and it happened on the first pick six. Zach was really trying to do, you know, he was giving maximum effort and trying his his darndest to get out of trouble and make a play, right? That led to the Francis Bernard pick. Well, against Tennessee, multiple times, of those four sacks, three of them really were ones where Zach really was like a pro. You know, the margin for error in the NFL is where it's the slimmest. And, and college football against good competition is where you get as close to that comp- as, as close to that slim margin of error in the NFL. And that's why you see so many NFL quarterbacks eat the ball and take a sack, and you don't see a ton of college because in, in college you can still out-athlete or, out, you know, uh, you, can, you can have the athletic advantage there where you can take that extra risk. Well, Zach, three out of the four sacks, to me, he, he could have fought harder or he could have tried to, you know, do a flip, a, a desperate flip to a running back or something like that, but instead he just tucked the ball, covered it up, and, and went down. And so uh, there, was a, there was a step of maturity there that I, I, for one, was really pleased to see because Zach, I think, and I don't think he compromises his, his confident, assertive, and his playmaking ability in doing that. That's, that's kind of an, often an assumption that not only fans have but players have, that if you take you know, a, a smart sack in a smart moment, 
that now all of a sudden you've become a, a passive game manager, and that's not the case. So as that continues to mature and balance that that aggressive playmaking ability with the the headiness of of taking care of the football, I think it'll show well for this BYU offense. Tyson Williams had a pretty good game, but he still only had 17 carries. And I know BYU hasn't had a lot of offensive snaps in the first two games, so that's that's an impact on how often he's getting the ball, obviously. But what do you think the right total is for him going forward, assuming BYU starts snapping the ball offensively 70 or 80 times a game? Boy, you said it, DJ. 60, they ran 55 plays in the first game, and they ran 60 plays in a two-overtime two game. So that's baffling to me. That that would be priority number one is find a way to get plays up. Now, I know they're kind of in a position where they're, they, they haven't really proven that they can move the ball up and down the field, so they might be playing a little bit of um, a little bit of you know time of possession and conservative kind of don't mess it up. Our defense will make a play ball, but they got to get more. They got to get more shots up. But I think I think the right amount of touches is, is somewhere around twenty. I do think you know Lapini Katoa has things to offer, and I think Zach in most games will be able to enhance the rush game with with his feet. Whether you know he's pulling a zone read or they run a draw or he's just scrambling and picking up first downs with his feet. So I do not think Tyson – I mean, Tyson's not like a Harvey Younger. Their, their sizes are just different. Harvey went 245 and was 6'2", and Tyson, while he's, he's built well, he's not built that big, and he's not and, – and I don't know where he hasn't had that season in college football where he's been an absolute workhorse and proven he can do it because he is such – uh, a, an asset to this offense, I don't think you risk it by trying to pump him up to 25, 30 carries. So I think right around 20, whether they make it there or not, I don't think they should be super focused on, but shoot for high teams, 20 carries. Um, and, and, you know, if he can keep his rush per carry up around five like he had against Tennessee, then I think that'll be enough for the BYU offense to have success. So you being a quarterback, try to explain what this USC freshman did in his first start ever at the college level against Stanford because obviously he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he, he was. And what he did was more, more than anything he did physically, it was mentally in that he knew that he's got four wide receivers that some people think that USC will have the top receiver taken off the board in the next three drafts. Yeah. Between Armand St. Brown, Pittman, Vaughn, and then I'm blocking, I can't remember this freshman's name, number 15. But between those four players, they're all going to get drafted. So most are projecting they're all going And we lost Riley. I think we know where he's going with that point. Yak will try to get him back I mean, they on the are phone. Studs. They are. We've just, been saying it for weeks and months. They are just stacked. And if you go through the roster, the guys who aren't playing are all six four, six five, and they're all freshmen and sophomores. So even as these guys go off to the NFL, it looks like they got other guys who can step in and and potentially still be really good players for them. Maybe not to the level of these top two or three well, guys. Two, you know, and I don't know how long Harrell is going to stay there because I don't know how long Helton's going to stay there. But if they start throwing the ball a lot more. That's just going to increase the opportunity for them to get even more better receivers. I mean, they already got great ones, but the point being is that it will continue because, you know, student body left, student body right, which is what SC's been known for for many, many, many years with all the Heismans. They've had a few Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks now, or at least a couple. And so if they throw the ball a lot more, and receivers are already flocking there, 
So if they throw it more, they'll be even more. And they're really good. I, but I can't just say that it's the receivers and everybody else around him that made him look like he was all world. You got to give some credit to the kid. Absolutely. The throws were on the money. The deep ball he threw for a touchdown early was perfect. I mean, it was sensational. Perfecto? But it definitely makes the game easier to have all that talent around you, without question. All right, Riley's back with us. Riley, you were just making the point, and you cut out there, you're making the point about the depth and talent of that receiving core. Yeah, but, and, and to give the quarterback credit, I don't want to take anything away from him because what, what most freshmen, they, they have nerves, especially against Stanford, right? Stanford is an in-conference rival. It was a nationally televised game, and it was his first start. So there were a lot of things there that that would give him a good excuse to come out and try and do something extra, try and force throws, try and do all of those things. But he didn't. He stayed within the plan. Now, uh, I think we've got to give Graham Harrell some credit there as well. That He's brought in that Texas Tech kind of air raid, um, a, a kind of a modification of what Mike Leach runs, and that is all about easy completion. They don't, you, you did mention that he dropped that teardrop of a beautiful ball on his first touchdown between two defenders for the first one, but most of the other ones were getting the ball out of his hand quick to receiver in the flat who was able to catch the ball in space and make some plays of it. And um, so he came out and executed the game plan extremely poised. And, of course, you know, he's got an embarrassment of riches of talent around him. Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, how is BYU secondary possibly going to match up with all these receivers? I mean, it, it looks like an impossible task. Yeah, and I think it's going to be an extra possible task for for any secondary in the country because the couple of things, the offense is designed to get the ball out of your hands quick, so it's neutralizing it's neutralizing the pass rush, and that can get really frustrating for defensive linemen if they never have more than you know a second and a half to two seconds to try and get to the quarterback. And even against battle lines, that's a lot. So, the, so you've got the design of the offense that poses a problem. Um, if, you, if you try and light them up and try and blitz, now BYU, uh, BYU doesn't play much man to begin with, but that would put them in a position of playing man, which I think is, is not a very wise thing to do. And so that leaves dropping back and playing coverage. BYU does, has played a lot of drop eight coverage where they only rush three defensive linemen and then they drop eight players. That, that serves a couple of purposes. One is it, hopefully guys aren't getting behind you and getting behind the defense. And then two, you've got a lot of guys in the area that when they do catch the ball underneath in the short to intermediate ranges, you've got a, a guy or two around to tackle them. And that's going to be a big thing because all of these USC wide receivers are great with the ball in their hand. They're great ball runners and, and good at getting yards after the catch. And so it's going to be vital for BYU to have a guy close to make some initial contact so that these guys can't work their magic in the open field and then rally and pursue really quickly and aggressively to make sure they get on the ground. And then, and then hope that, you know, we call it the sophomore slump from year one to year two. You hope there's a little bit of a second game slump from game one to game two where this freshman was so, so great his first year. Maybe a couple of those freshman mistakes that are inevitable for most, most players kind of as BYU's forcing them to execute long drives and, and not allow them to push the ball down the field, that he'll get impatient, force 
a play or two and and give the ball up, you know, giving BYU a chance. Riley, you said every secondary in the country is going to have trouble. You're calling it right now. I see what you did. You're saying SC is going to beat Utah next week, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to see, right? It's, it's, all right, PK, I'll let you. I'll let you run with that one. I, do, I, think, I, I think the new the new Coliseum they got some mojo. They've surprised a lot of people. I think I I my pick and and I don't know that I did this much publicly, but just in talking to people coming into the college football season, everybody writing USC off. I, I really I really didn't understand that because JT Daniels is a true freshman. Now they find themselves with another freshman in this situation, but that will be that will be an immense battle and and that will really put Utah to the test I'll tell you what there's been a couple of things one I I've always thought Utah's Utah was going to be better than everyone or sorry I thought USC was going to be better than everyone thought they were and it's been a little bit hard for me to believe the, the Utah hype if the Utah secondary at least as far as a playoff dark horse I think as far as being you know being a challenger for the Pac-12 championship I can buy that but being a playoff dark horse has been a little tough for me to swallow if that secondary for Utah can come out and neutralize that receiving core for USC, then I'll be all in on Utah, you know, going all the way and, and having a chance at making it to the Final Four. Well, Riley, you know what it's like to come out as a freshman and have a big game and win a big game. You know, you're at Utah State and you beat Fresno State, and we all, I mean, we're all prisoners a little bit of the most recent thing we've seen, right? I think recency bias is the expression, but it can be an up and down for a freshman. So put yourself in his shoes. Yes, he looked awesome against Stanford. How much does that set him up for multiple awesome games going forward? But what could trip him up? And he's inconsistent and he has some bad games and throws some picks. What does it look like from his viewpoint going forward? Yeah, his, his biggest thing is going, to, is going to be to try and stay with you. When you're in high school, and granted, by the way, do you guys know much about this kid's high school experience? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he played in – Kurt Warner was his uh, quarterback coach down there in Scottsdale. Uh, he put up some decent numbers, but the team wasn't very good. Yeah, three and seven. I had, I was so surprised that USC's even looking – you know, you think in high school when you've got that special of a player, he can at least will his team to more than three wins, especially playing in Scottsdale. Now, I don't know, maybe Scottsdale plays some of the better – teams down in Phoenix and, and all that, but I see that as more like, I don't see that as a football mecca, that's, that's golf mecca for a bunch of old retirees. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that the, the kid I think has, has extreme discipline, um, and maybe part of that is developed in high school with, with playing against players, or, sorry, playing with players who really don't provide much help. He probably learned that it doesn't matter if you don't use the guys around you or rely on them, you can't win it all by yourself, being that football is the ultimate team game. So what it looks like for him is to is two things. One, dealing with adversity, because adversity will come. No matter the talent he's got around him, the system, or as disciplined as he thinks he is, he's going to make mistakes. Because mistakes in, in call, at the high level of college football are only eliminated as you accrue a volume of uh, plays. Because you can't see everything that people are going to throw at you. So how will he respond to adversity? How well is he able to put it in the interview mirror and move forward? And then the second thing is finding himself in a competitive game. And granted, Stanford got out to an early lead against SC. I think it was 20-3 to or, or, or 14 or 17-3. to It was somewhere around there. And he did not panic. So 
He kind of had his first shot at that. But being down 17-3 to in the first quarter is a lot different than being down 10 late in the third as far as the, the pressure that you feel as a player to press and really try and make something special happen. If he can fight off those urges and stay with the program um, and, and rely on the cast around him, then it'll be great. But those are going to be dealing with adversity and, and uh, not pressing are going to be his two biggest challenges to overcome. All right, Riley, as always, we appreciate a few minutes and, uh, you know, build that 15-year plan and then work towards it and let us know how that works out for you in 2034. <laughs> if you can find us, because who knows where we'll be. Yeah, we'll be, well, I assume we'll still be talking every Wednesday morning over those. That's my plan, Riley. <laughs> that would be right, awesome. <laughs> I'll take that. Thanks, Riley. Riley Nelson, Thanks, 